so this will be best if it's just like it feels like just a normal conversation okay. with our dear <laughs> listeners. It's true. It is slightly different than when I just call you up on the phone. Uh, yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> That's right, dear listeners. This is an off-season episode of Advice from Mom. That was indeed my mom, and I am Rebecca Garza Bortman. We're working hard on season two, but I wanted to share a little bonus episode with you now. Because the news does not sleep. We heard from many of you in our feedback survey that you're interested in hearing more stories about Mama Bee and more about mental health in the news. Well, this month, bada boom, we got both. With the headlines about Harvey Weinstein and people sharing their story with Me Too, we're here to say, Mom Too. Real quick, if you haven't gotten a chance to fill out our listener survey yet, let your voice be heard. Just go to advicefrom.mom feedback. And in less than three minutes and through some simple checkboxes, you will give us what we need to make season two great. I trust in you. So go to advicefrom.mom feedback and tell us what you think. We really appreciate it. And one last thing, I do want to remind you, since my psychologist mom is never short on advice, this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. Treatment options should be made in partnership with your health professional. With that in mind, let's roll the tape. Do you remember, I've been thinking about this a ton this week, do you remember what you said to me when I was eight and I told you I wanted to be an actress? Yes, I've been remembering it so vividly this past week. And I was th- hoping you remembered it. Oh my gosh, Because of even if it's how many years ago, everybody likes to be right. Ugh. You know, at that point, you had no life experience, so how would you know? And at, at that age, I think every young person disbelieves their parents. So... so when I was eight, maybe even younger, I told my mom I wanted to be an actress. And she told me that I wasn't allowed to be an actress because I'd have to sleep with directors. Yep. Yep, I did. And I never heard the end of it either from you. Like, how can you burst my, my, an eight-year-old's bubble? Well, how could you say that to me? And da, 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 da. Well, I remember saying to you, no, mom. They couldn't sleep with me because I'd be a child actress and you can't sleep with yes, children. I bet you did say that. <laughs> you always had the a way around uh, the rule. And what did I say back? You're still not doing it? <laughs> Probably. I know you're not really on social media, but there's something else that happened this week that I was wondering if you heard oh, about. Oh, I sure did. <laughs> what did you hear about? About me too? Yeah, you heard about me too? Oh my golly, I've been doing nothing but soaking up all the news about it. Really? Sure. What do you think of all of it? Oh my goodness, it's it's about time. I think, you know, I understand totally why Jane Fonda and uh, Meryl Streep and the rest didn't talk about what happened. The world was not ready for them to say anything. It would have ruined everything for them, their careers. So they protected themselves by keeping it under tabs. Yeah. Have you heard the phrase, when a good person goes into a bad system, 
The system always wins. I hadn't heard that. No. One of my clients brought it to me, and it's just such a good descriptor of what happens, not just to women in a sexual harassment situation, but it's also women who are competent in any way. You know, I think they really find themselves stuck in a terrible system, and the temptation of some people, I guess, is to fight. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. do you any good because the system always wins. That's such a pessimistic view. Well, I think it's realistic. But certainly back in the 70s, back then it was pretty wild. And nobody was talking about it. As a professional, I had to take some continuing education courses in sexual harassment. So, you know, I learned about it from every viewpoint legal and so forth. Uh, But believe me, very few women were using the law or any other vehicle to call out what was going on. They just would have, the system would have won always. You know, what it brought back to me is actually three stories from my own experience, two of which were just kind of funny. And the third one, which really had a big impact on me, Huh. Okay. Let's hear them. Okay. Well, the first one is about when I moved to Pittsburgh, I was looking for a psychology group practice that I could work for while I was making the transition, having left my private practice in Philadelphia. So I did interview with a lot of different groups, and I finally settled upon one group that was mostly males, I might have been the first female other than, you know, like the secretarial staff. And it wasn't a big group. It was maybe eight people altogether. And I was pretty pleased uh, until I went out for the first couple of um, client sessions. And I went into the restroom and there were a lot of dirty magazines on the back of the toilet. What? At a psychologist office? Absolutely. And, yeah, surprised me too, believe me. And I went, mm, maybe not. Maybe this is not a good group for me Wait, to work. so did clients go into that bathroom, or was it just for staff? I think it was just for staff. But there again, it sneaks up to you in everyday situations, and you you never expect it. And uh, But I didn't stay with the group very long. So my second story is the funny one, I think. Uh, When I lived in Philly, I was a waitress, and you could make good money back then. It was a Greek restaurant. It was on the main line of Philadelphia. Very, very nice area. And the owner of the restaurant, he was a real, we used to say, MCP, male chauvinist pig. (laughs) When you don't have time to say male chauvinist pig, just say MCP or oink oink. <laughs> he was a real oink oink. Have you heard those terms? No, huh? <laughs> anyway, it was very common back in the 70s and so forth. One day, I, I think we were all standing sort of near the kitchen And this manager was standing with us, and he had just corrected something that I did. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't put salt on the 
their table or something. And he told me, go put some salt on the table. And afterward, I think I was kidding around with the other women. And he, he said to me in broken English, he said, Elizabeth, you know what you are for good? And I, and I said to him, do you mean, do I know what I'm good for? <laughs> I corrected his English. Mm-hmm. And yes, he said, fucking. Oh, God. Yeah. So that was the end of that Ugh. job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't want to stay there. Yeah, I definitely have never heard that story. But I can understand why you waited till I was 33 to tell me. <laughs> well, yes, those are not nasty. Those are nasty words. Can you even put that on onto the airwaves? My mom does not F-bomb lightly. I don't. No, I really don't. So the final one is a story about when, again, when I was in graduate school and I was in the process of trying to get my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in family therapy, as you well know. And so I got myself a job as a research assistant in a large project uh, studying families of drug-addicted people at Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic. Mm-hmm. And the man who was running the project was in the process of collecting data so that he could write a book. Mm. Mm -hmm. So he let me use some of his data in order to write my dissertation. I was able to let me analyze some of the data and then um, I would, you know, write it up and say what it meant and so forth. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in the process of doing all that, and one day, I'll call him Dr. S. One day, Dr. S., who was married, he asked me out. And all I remember about it is that I just knew that it wasn't a good thing to do because he was married, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just, I kind of just said no. You know, and I didn't really think too much of, of it after that. But later, when um, I was toward the end of my dissertation and so forth, and getting ready to do the final analysis of data, every time I came to him with an analysis, he would say, no, this, this is no good. You have to do it all over again. So that kept happening three, Uh four, five times. So he basically, he was holding up your dissertation. He was holding up your PhD being done because Mm -hmm. you wouldn't go out with him. I I think that was part of it. I think the other part of it was that, you know, my results did not confirm his, you know, his book's hypothesis, his book's main idea, Mm -hmm. Um, which actually, listen to this. This is funny. The main idea in his book was that it, it, again, it is the woman in the family, the mother in the family, Mm -hmm. that her interaction with her son is what causes the son to be a drug addict. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oink, oink. (laughs) What an oink, oink. oink. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Finally, the man who was at the University of Pennsylvania, who was my dissertation chair, Mm -hmm. I told him what was going on, and he ended up to be the hero because he told Dr. S. that if he didn't let me finish my 
dissertation and, you know, go through the the whole process and the what they call the oral defense, that this chairman would bring sexual harassment charges against him. Oh, wow. So when you told your dissertation advisor, you told him everything. You told him that Dr. S had asked you out. I must have. I must have. It, the whole thing was very confusing to me, but the chairman saved my saved myself saved me and but the, the ironic thing is the chairman of my dissertation committee he himself was an oink oink <laughs> oh really towards you not towards me not towards me but um is well known he used to invite all of us over to his home he had a swimming pool uh oh yeah, but anyway, his wife was always there. So I mean, you know, there was. But I think I think the part that I want to be on my soapbox about um, is that all of these stories that are coming out—they're diverse and they're very in every realm of life, but especially in you know the realm of employment. I think it helps because everybody's starting to see what a severe mental illness or a severely mentally ill person is like. Mm. Because many of these perpetrators truly have so much cognitive distortion. They live in their own reality. Yeah. And, and you know, if you listen to Harvey Weinstein's uh, descriptions of what he thought during all this, so they don't have an awareness that their behavior is wrong, mm -hmm. although they're often very good at portraying the empathetic person. And that's just another way of pulling you into their clutches. Right. So um, these are scary people. Yeah. And they're, they're good at faking reality, too. And um, so. Well, on that note, I was thinking of calling this podcast Mom Too. Instead of me too, mom too. Yeah, I that, that honey, whatever you have such good judgment about these kinds of things. So, um, I I guess I provide uh, a lot of content. But you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you have a story? What What are you thinking of? Well, I, the thing I'm thinking about, sweetie, has to do with giving a talk in a foreign country. Oh yes, please. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, that's see, and that's what happens to us. It's so icky. <laughs> it's so oh my gosh, piggy. you're totally right. Um, I got invited to the Netherlands to give a TEDx talk about creativity. I wrote my talk about um, creative partnerships. And I was really excited that like, how, how did like this group in the Netherlands even hear about my design work or anything like that? It turned out it was this guy who was organizing the conference and had come to a conference in San Francisco looking for speakers. So he had reached out to me and I was like, okay, cool. I've, I'd love to come to the Netherlands and speak. <laughs> that sounds great. So... Indeed, I went. And the second I met the organizer, I just, he just had this incredibly like um, inappropriate vibe to him. And mm -hmm. he would say, like, there were there at the day of the talk, and he asked me if I'm nervous. 
And I say, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. You know, I just, I want to make sure that it's an interesting talk. And he said, well, if, if it's not interesting, at least you're pretty. Mm. And then he said another comment while I was setting up my microphone. They were like the sound guy was putting a microphone on me. Um, and it was kind of an empty room. The like it was like a thousand people at this conference, but they had all cleared out for lunch. So they were setting me up with AV and he was there. And also his wife was helping out with the event. And mm. he made this comment about like his wife being horrible. And like, if, if he was with someone like me, he wouldn't have to deal with someone like her. And I was oh, like, Jesus, but it was like, she could hear, she was like right behind him. Oh. It was like, almost oh. like involving me in their, like, their marital disagreement in this way that was just, I just didn't know what to say. It was so uncomfortable. And at that point I started getting worried that he was going to say something ridiculous when he introduced me to the crowd because he just seemed like such a loose cannon and he was introducing the other speakers and kind of most of them were men. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was just getting more and more fearful about like, what is he going to say when he gets up there and introduces me, but also realizing I had to preserve a little bit of that relationship because if I made him mad, maybe he'd say something really horrible to the crowd Mm -hmm. about me. Mm -hmm. And in his introduction, he didn't say anything horrible So I give my talk, I walk off stage, and he walks back on stage to introduce the next person. And here my talk had all been about creative partnerships, about my band with with someone else and design projects, things like that. And he says, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure I'm not the only guy in this crowd who'd love to start a creative partnership with her Mm -hmm. to the whole audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it, I was like literally walking off stage and I just like didn't, I didn't know. I was just like, uh, looked like, huh? Yeah, uh. it's really, it is, does strike awe into us because it is such a surprise generally and so inappropriate. And Right. But like in so many ways, I remember prepping for the talk and like wanting to kind of hide my femininity, like because mm-hmm. it felt mm-hmm. like that that's. That's not how you gain respect. <laughs> yes. You know? No, that's, yeah. that's. So uh, tell a little bit about what happened afterward with the people in the audience. Yeah. For the rest of the conference, all that people said to me was, you need to know that Dutch people are not like that. That is not Dutch. What he did was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody mm-hmm. talked about my talk at all, which is kind of funny. But they just like really like the whole entire conference came up to me and mm-hmm. just said, like, mm-hmm. you need to know that we don't think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that's uh, a little bit of healing right there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And isn't it amazing that that man made those comments before the actual show in front of his wife? Ugh, so I disgusting. Mean, but then, you know, the another way of looking at it is that the intimidation that those kinds of guys will use is intended to keep women, their women, whichever woman, passive. Mm-hmm. And to know I can lord it over you and you can't do a thing about it. One like, kind of magic power that I wish I had was um, the ability in the moment when things like that happen to reprimand somebody. 
so often in these situations, I make, I feel like I make the man feel like it's okay what he said. But that's just who you are. And this other skill you're talking about would only be appropriate very, very rarely. Yeah. I just feel like there would be so many times in the workplace where that would be really useful. Yes, there was no question about that. And But then the important thing would be that you, there would be no repercussions. If this were somebody who did have power over you, they wouldn't fire you or lay you off or not give you a raise. Well, do you think that's why that's why it would be inappropriate to say it in the moment? Boy, that sure is a judgment call. I think every situation is a little bit different. Depends on how much you, you know, you need the job or how much how angry you think that the person, the guy who has power over you is likely to get. Mm -hmm. It might be better if it's um, if there's someone else in the room, it might be better to just mention it later on. And then you'd have a chance to compose yourself and not come at them with raw emotion. Yeah, I like that idea. I wish I had done that at that conference. Just pulled him aside afterwards and said, hey, I didn't appreciate you saying that. Didn't it help you a lot to have all the other people in the conference understanding how inappropriate it was by their comments to you? Well, Mom, I'm interested to talk about how this fits back to me, too. It called more attention to it, but it also kind of solidified for me that this was wrong. You know, that this this kind of gray area wasn't just inside myself, <laughs> that that was that was uh, it was inappropriate. This idea of me, too, is calling attention, shining a spotlight on it. Just on Twitter alone, over a million people have used the hashtag me, too, to call out wow. these kind of situations. I mean, it came to popularity in the last couple of weeks, but it's been going on for a while. That is wonderful. And I, I would like to consider that maybe each time a woman does one of those um, communiques that she has some healing. Yeah. When we receive in great numbers, that, that's exciting. I mean, we, we have power that way. I may have told you what comes to my mind is when I had a Volkswagen bus uh, right after college. Yeah, my mom was cool. Uh-huh. I was cool. What I had, the sticker I had on the back of my bus mm -hmm. was sisterhood is powerful. And um, it was so cute. Sometimes people passing me, they would either give me a thumbs up or a smile or, you know, or they would be like, <laughs> I don't want to know what kind of motion comes along with that sound. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I could definitely tell whether they were in favor of sisterhood is powerful or not in favor of it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's the takeaway here. Sisterhood is powerful. This, this really adds tremendous momentum and power. So there you have it. Mom too, and me too. I hope you enjoyed listening and hearing us try out something new. If you've already sent us listener feedback or a question, think of this bonus as our thank you gift for your thoughts. 
If you haven't sent us your thoughts yet, there is a destination for all that goodness. Go to advicefrom.mom slash your turn. That page is your gateway to making season two as great as it can be. Send us a question, give us feedback, and some other really fun ways to participate. I guess if I was taking this gift metaphor even further, and I like to use strong emotions as a weapon, I would probably say that this is basically like a guilt gift until you send us your thoughts. But that's not my style. I mean, our family motto is literally no guilt, no fault, no blame. So you decide. But if you want to send us your thoughts, there's lots of ways at advicefrom.mom slash your turn. And now, a final something new. Advice for Mom would like to thank the Arts and Ideas Lecture Series of the JCC San Francisco for their support. Boom, boom, boom. Who doesn't love arts and ideas? It's the San Francisco Lecture Series going for years. Coming up on November 7th, the JCCSF hosts Eat, Drink, and Be Literary, featuring the book Leave Me Alone with the Recipes and illustrator Wendy McNaughton. Hey! Wasn't she on advice from mom? <laughs> That's right, talking matzo ball. Wendy was on episode seven. So even if you don't live by the bay, the talks are online within a couple of days. Hey, the talk with Smitten Kitchen already sold out. And Brene Brown probably will soon. So get your tickets today. Do not delay and be a part. Please visit jccsf.org for more information. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It is produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. Our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. I will be playing shows around the Bay Area this fall. To see me and Brian play live, check out our show dates at lovejerks.com.